0: Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from the book of Micah. It is Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. This is one that we don't read very often except around Christmas time. And it should become clear as to why we read it then. before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day, and we thank you for your word which you have given to us. We do pray that you would help us to hear it, to hear it for real, that we would uh, live it for real. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand... And shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Turning to Philippians chapter 1. We read last week of Paul... Rejoicing, even though he is in prison, knowing that no matter what, Jesus still wins. And so he says, picking up at the beginning of that paragraph just before verse 19, he says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed But will have sufficient courage so that now as always christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death For to me to live is christ and to die is gain If i'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with christ, which is better by far But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as we come to our sermon Text this morning. This is John chapter eight, starting in verse forty-eight, and going on then to the end of the chapter. And this is really kind of a, the a transition, sort of a sermon. Uh, as we go through the rest of the weeks of Advent, we'll, Advent, we'll be telling kind of one story of what happens in John chapter nine. No peeking ahead, and. Uh, Before we get there, though, we have this one uh, story that kind of sets up what is going on uh, as we get into that. And so we're looking at this kind of as a transition leading us into that series, but also uh, it is kind of part two of what we just looked at last week. So let me catch you up uh, real quick. If you weren't here last week, remind you if you were as to what we were looking at there. And it was uh, Jesus having this sort of back and forth with uh, some people who claimed to believe in him, and yet he, they were showing maybe they really didn't. And so he was actually showing them that that was the case by saying, you know, they were claiming Abraham as their father. And he's like, Abraham's not your father, because if he were, you'd do what Abraham did, which you don't. <laughs> and They say, well, then God is our father. And he's like, well, if God were your father, you do what God does. You don't do that either. And so uh, actually, let's look at what you do. You murder, and today he's going to say, and you lie. And then who is the one who has been a murderer and a liar from the beginning? That's the devil. That's whose father you, uh, that's who is your father, uh, whose children you are, because that's who you resemble. So that's what we looked at last week. And where we uh, start this week is actually picking up right there. As Jesus has just said to them, uh, (laughs) whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. And so where we pick this up is right there. It's like, well, how in the world are they going to respond to that? And the correct way, I think, to respond to what Jesus is saying is he makes a good point. You know, when we step back and we look at the evidence, and we look at the ways that we're living, and we look at the ways that God has been leading us all this time, they're not together. And something's got to change. And so this would be a great point for them to actually uh, respond with repentance, with that uh, broken and contrite heart that David talks about. But they don't, do they? they respond to the way in the same way that people normally respond, the way we normally respond. When somebody uh, says something about you you don't particularly like. And how is that? You get defensive, right? And so, <laughs> they, he's just said, you are not a child of Abraham, you're not a child of God, you are a child of the devil. And they respond, and I'm going to, paraphrase this, they respond by basically saying what you hear on the playground, or at least did when I was a kid, of, uh, I'm rubber and you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. You heard that one before? Yeah, it's, I don't know why that's even a thing. It's, it rhymes, but anyway, if they had said, if they had known of that saying, they may have said it that way back then. I don't know, but here's the way they put it. He said, verse 48, the Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? And what does that mean? He just said, you're not a child of Abraham. They didn't consider the Samaritans children of Abraham. So they're like, oh, you you think we're not children? You're the one that's not a child of Abraham. (laughs) Right back at you. And, uh, and of course, not a child of God. You are demon-possessed. So not a child of God, but actually a child of the devil. So you see what they've done. They take the same thing that he just said about them, and they're like... Nope, nope, not us. It's you. You're the one that's like that. I'm rubber, you're glue. That's what this is. And Jesus responds, and it is amazing the patience he has in this whole conversation. But verse 49, he says, I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. In other words, let's look at the evidence again. You're claiming to honor God with what you do. But that's what I'm actually doing, is honoring God by everything I do. And then you dishonor me. So if you're dishonoring the one who's actually honoring him, what does that say about you? Come on, let's look at the evidence. And he says, I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. This idea of not seeking glory for yourself. I mean... (laughs) It's, it's one thing for Muhammad Ali to say, you know, I'm the greatest, right? But anybody can say that. And it doesn't matter. What matters is, can he actually prove that in the boxing ring? Can he show that he is the greatest fighter and then have everybody else around going, yeah, you know what, he is the greatest. And so what Jesus is saying is it doesn't matter what I say about myself. Anybody can just say things. What do you actually do to back that up? And then what kind of witness and testimony is there from others? And in fact, he said, you know, some, or he's alluding to here is that some uh, witnesses are better witnesses, more reliable witnesses than others. And he says, God himself is my witness. That is who uh, is seeking uh, my glory. He's the one saying, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him, right? Verse 51, very truly I tell you, Jesus says, whoever obeys my word will never see death. Okay, they can't let that one go. So verse 52, at this they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon possessed. Why? Because Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Oh, great question. Let me tell you, in this whole back and forth, they've said a lot of really dumb stuff. They just have. And I'm not like pointing fingers at them and saying, how dare they? Like, we all say dumb stuff. (laughs) That's how we roll. Um, But here they actually ask a really good question. Before we get to that question, they they claim that he is demon-possessed Because, what has he just claimed? That whoever obeys his word will never never see death. Who is the giver of life? It's not people. It's God, right? God is the one who gives life. And so when Jesus makes this claim, they're like, you are talking like a crazy person. You can't give life. Somebody obeying your word... Everybody's still going to die. I mean, let's look at the facts. You know, you keep pointing back to the evidence and examining everything. Let's do that. Let's look at Abraham. Abraham, we've already said, you know, he he was somebody who was walking with God. He is somebody who, you know, we were looking at last week, when God's word came to him, it made a difference in his life. And we see that over and over with Abraham. And they say, but you look back at Abraham and guess what? He still died. And then we look at all the prophets who are hearing from God and proclaiming to the people the ways in which everybody has uh, gone away from the way of God. And it says, you know, as close as they were to God, guess what? They still died. That is what happens. And for you to say that it's not going to happen, you have got to be possessed by a demon. Because no normal, sane, rational person would talk like this. And so they finally ask a good question. A question maybe people should have asked him long before this, which is, who do you think you are? Now, I do kind of say it that way, because I don't, I don't know if it's an actual seeking information question and more just like, additional <laughs> piling on with uh, kind of mocking him they've already been doing, is who do you think you are kind <laughs> of an attitude. But the question itself, who do you think you are, Seems like maybe they should have asked that before this. Everybody else has been saying what who they think he is, and you know we've talked about uh, we've talked about through uh, the Gospel of John how a lot of times people will say, "Oh, Jesus never claimed to be God," because if you look for the phrase, you know, "I am God" on the lips of Jesus, it's not there. You do the search for it; it's not there. And yet, one of the things we've been pointing out as we go through this is. Okay, he didn't say that phrase, but everything he said and everything he did pointed exactly that direction. And we're going to see a big way that's the case here. But uh, in just a few verses, but before we get there, the point here is that though he's been saying all these things and doing all these things that show that he is God in the flesh, everywhere he goes, people misunderstand it and they misconstrue it. And so uh, they accuse him of being something else or someone else. And this is seems the first time that somebody's like, well, why don't you just tell us who you think you are? You know, it's like maybe somebody before this would have said that, like you're doing all these things. You're saying all these things. Nobody else is doing this stuff. Nobody else is saying this stuff. Who do you think that you are? Why is it that you are doing these things? Why is it that you're saying these things? And so they say, you know, who do you think you are? And here we go again. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Now that's, we're going to spend some time on that, but let's go ahead and continue to the end. You see how they heard that first. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And they immediately think, wait a second, there's no way Abraham saw you alive. I mean, think about this. Anybody here know a ballpark when Abraham was alive? What year? In big round numbers. Ballpark roughly 2,000 B.C. 2,000 B.C. So, think about where we are right now. Uh, Roughly 2,000 A.D. So it would be like somebody now claiming to have, uh, yeah, John the Baptist saw my day and he was glad. It's like, you are not even close to that old. (laughs) There's no way. And so then Jesus responds, though. And he doesn't say to them what you might expect somebody to say if they're going to double down on this claim and say, "Oh yeah, no, I'm really old. You just don't even understand." But instead, what he says is, uh, "Very truly, I tell you." Jesus answered, "Before Abraham was born, I am." Now you would expect grammatically, before Abraham was uh, even, before Abraham, say this. Before Abraham was born, I was, is how you'd expect it to be said. But he doesn't say that for good reason. This is something that we have looked at several times already through the Gospel of John, that there are um, seven times where Jesus in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I am dot dot dot, right? Like I am the vine, I am uh, the good shepherd, etc. But there are also seven times where he just says, I am, period. This is one of those, and some of the ones we've seen earlier uh, sometimes get covered up in the English translation of it because it's an awkward way to say things, and so they'll put you know another couple words in there to make it seem like a more complete sentence. But here they just keep it as it is because the way that he's saying what he's saying matters a lot. When he says, "Before Abraham was born, I am." What's he referring to? Old Testament. Obviously, Abraham, but, but other than that. And we're looking at um, the burning bush episode with Moses, right? And Moses says, Who shall I, when I go to Pharaoh and tell the people, you know, who shall I say sent me? And he says, Tell them. Tell them, I am sent me to you. When Jesus says, I am, you know, we said that you don't see the phrase, I am God, anywhere. <laughs> uh, this is how you would actually say that then. If you're claiming not just to be divine, but to be the one true God who has revealed himself throughout the whole of the Old Testament, but now has come to his people in the flesh. This is how he would say it. Before Abraham was born, I am now, of course, uh, they know that this is uh, what this means. And so how do they respond to this? Repentance? No. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. We've seen this multiple times as well. And people decide they're going to just kill Jesus. Jesus get rid of him, and they can't. And this is one of those places where I feel like I I want John to write more here. Like, what do you mean he hid himself? Like, go run around the corner and hide in a basket, Indiana Jones-style kind of thing, and then they all run by with their stones. They can't find him. What does this mean? He hid himself. And I think if I were to ask John, John would be like, well, Joe, you're totally missing the point. <laughs> How he hit himself, where he hid himself is not the point. The point is they could not kill him no matter how much they wanted to. And that has happened again and again and again. So keep that in mind later on when it comes time for him to die. And He doesn't hide himself and he doesn't go away from there, but he stands right there and lets them kill him. They cannot do it to him. Uh, This is why he says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down, right? That's what we're seeing here when he gets away. They cannot kill him on their own. It's only if he lays down his life. Uh, That is the point. Okay, so back to verse 56. This is where uh, we're going to end. I know it's not at the end, but that's how we do sometimes. So verse 56. When Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day, he saw it and was glad. What does that mean? What could Jesus possibly mean when he says that Abraham saw his day, saw Jesus' day, and was glad? Well, I will tell you, I don't know. I don't. And I'm okay with that. Um, but now, having said I don't know, I'm going to talk about it for a long time. <laughs> so here we go. The reason I don't know exactly what he means is this, this is about all he says about it. And so there are a lot of people who have made a lot of good guesses, but we don't really know for sure what he meant by this. But of all the guesses there are, and you read the commentaries, some people say this, some people say that. We don't know. But of all the uh, the options there are, <laughs> there are enough good options that we have that I am, I'm okay with those, just having those uh, in view. So let me just run through some of this. When he talks about Abraham rejoicing in the thought of seeing his day and then seeing it and being glad, what are some of the possibilities? Some say that it was in the um, the vision that Abraham had in uh, when he split the animals open, and then he falls into a deep sleep, and he has this vision of the um, torch and the fire smoking firepot that go through the right through the pieces. And then when this happens, there are things revealed to him as God says, you know, here's what's going to happen with your descendants, and talks about them being slaves in Egypt, but then them coming back to this land. And some people have speculated that maybe he was told a lot more than just that, and that's just the only part that gets recorded. I'm like, well. Okay, that's possible. (laughs) But it doesn't say that that happened, and I don't like necessarily uh, making a big case on something that's not said. What are things that are said? Um, So another possibility is just that that when Isaac is born, that that is something where uh, Abraham sees kind of this first step towards what God has promised, which was, that through Abraham, all the nations on the earth will be blessed. And so when Isaac is born, then we have that uh, confirmation that God is doing this work. And so he kind of sees it in that way. Or here's another. Later on, when God uh, asks Abraham to sacrifice his son, which, if you are in that day and that time, that makes sense. It's kind of like with the piece of the animals. Right. Actually, let's go to that one first. And the piece, when God says to split the animals open, and uh, Abraham is fully expecting he's going to walk through. That Abraham himself is going to walk through these pieces of the animals and he's going to make this uh, covenant with God where he's basically saying, if I break the terms of this covenant, may I be like these dead animals. If I break this covenant, kill me dead. That's what Abraham is expecting. That's because that's the way things were done culturally at that time uh, when someone was conquered by someone else. That's what Abraham's expecting. But instead, he falls into deep sleep and he has this vision where he doesn't walk through. But God, representing himself as a uh, torch in a fire pot, goes through as though to say, you will break this covenant. But when you do, I'm going to be like these dead animals. What in the world does that mean? We don't really know until we get to Jesus. Again, when God asks him to sacrifice his son Isaac, and, I mean, it's something Abraham would have expected almost. I mean, from, from what the people were doing around there, in the way that they were sacrificing children to try to get the attention of the various gods that they were worshiping. You know, Abraham doesn't have a whole lot to go on on who this God is that has come to him. And yet, he says, sacrifice your son. Well, then that's what we're going to do. And yet, he gets to the mountain and God says, that's not how we're going to do this. I'm not like... Uh, idols that these other peoples worship. In fact, it's from then on, that place is uh, given a name that means on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Isaac comes off the altar, a ram goes on in his place, a ram that God has provided to take his place, and we see that echoed later on in the story when the people are coming out of Egypt, and what happens? But a lamb takes the place of the firstborn sons, And we go, this is amazing, but what does it all mean? And we don't really know until we get to Jesus. I've heard a, um, a pastor recently talking about uh, prophecy in the Old Testament and how uh, we often expect prophecy to be like, this is going to happen in this exact way. And then you flip over to the New Testament, and you see this exact thing happens in this exact way. And you go, oh, all right. And there are things like that. I mean, we just read from Micah where it talks about, you know, that a ruler is going to come out of Bethlehem. And you're like, well, yeah, that's how that goes. But he said most of the time in the Old Testament, the way that prophecy works is more like, you know, the uh, shaving a Haircut song? dun da da you almost can't help yourself, can you? <laughs> dun, da, da, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's just there. And uh to have that song without those last two notes is like you feel like you're gonna trip if you're trying to walk and <laughs> sing that at the same time. Dun, da, da, dun, dun. Ah! <laughs> and he says every story in the Old Testament kind of reads like that. Every story in the Old Testament, you kind of have this dun da, da dun dun. And it's like, okay, that makes sense on its own, but it's missing something. It's not complete. It seems like there's something still to come that will complete the whole thing. And then Jesus shows up and is the completion of all those different stories. And I think that when Jesus is talking about your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day, he saw it and was glad. I don't, I don't think we have to go as far as, uh, you know, God telling him specifically all these things. I think that he saw that this is the way this song goes. <laughs> and that all these events in his own life, the way that God had been working, it seems like they're all pointing towards something and they're pointing towards this blessing for all the world that God had told him when he first called him. And then he sees the ways that all these stories seem to be pointing in the same sort of way and that God continues to be faithful. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, there's this uh, amazing chapter where it kind of goes through and talks about people in the Old Testament and how they were living, trusting God uh, in these various ways. And when it talks about Abraham, uh, after it's already talked about many others, then it gets to Abraham and... uh, in verse 8, but then in verse 13, it says, you know, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I think this is what Jesus is talking about with Abraham seeing his day. It's just like all these people who have had these promises and yet they die before those promises are fulfilled. That they're still living by faith because they see that God is going to do this. Maybe not in my lifetime, but he is going to do it. And so I'm going to continue to live that way. I think uh, all of these kind of echoes of the same song is what Abraham saw. I think the faithfulness of God throughout his life is what Abraham saw. And I think the promises that God has made to him uh, to bless the whole world through one of Abraham's descendants is what Abraham saw. And so when Jesus says that Abraham saw my day, I think it might be uh, clearer had he said, Abraham saw my day coming. But had he said it that clearly, there wouldn't be opportunity for the confusion that followed that then allowed him to say, just right out there for everybody, before Abraham was born, I am. So today, I mentioned is the first Sunday in Advent. Excuse me. And the theme is hope. And so as we look at Abraham looking forward to Jesus day though it's not there yet for Abraham <clears throat> it wasn't there yet for him he was able to rejoice because of the hope that he had at the end of the book of Romans Paul writes for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide we might have hope. This is the idea, that as we look back at all of the scriptures, that we would hear that same song playing, that we would see the way that Jesus completed the story. And now, as we look forward to Jesus coming again, and the ways that Jesus has said things will be in the future, we can do that so with the same kind of confidence that Abraham had way back then, that Jesus would come the first time. And so we can live by faith now in, <clears throat> in the hope of Jesus uh, coming again just as we have seen God's faithfulness in the past. And so then it says in verse 13 in Romans 15. And with this we will conclude. It says, May, God, may the God of hope fill you With all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.